then good evening to all of you. I'm continuing my discourses, my explanations about what comes from the teachings, words, actions of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. This is a trend which I started last year already, and it's a continuation of a series of lectures from many, many years ago, more than 10 years ago. And um, I'm in the middle of it. It's probably the 20th satsang in this series. I'm somewhere in the chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke. And I just read, I just finished reading a sort of a simplified version of the blessings. In one of the Gospels, and I'm not a theologian, don't ask me in each one. You can just see, and these things are common knowledge on the internet. In one of the Gospels... Jesus, Jesus is listed as mentioning nine blessings. Blessed are those who do this, blessed are those who do that. And um, it's a very, very classical list in which basically Jesus, in a certain way, he establishes the values of Christianity. He establishes the values of himself. He says it's good when it's like this and it, the opposite of it is negative. So, uh, Jesus is definitely establishing values. Values. He says, this is great, and this is not so good. In the Gospel of Luke, as I can see here, Luke also mentioned that the one day Jesus was on a mountain, the famous Sermon on the Mount, and there on the mountain he spoke something like this. And he mentions the blessings, but the blessings which he mentions... Here, there are four or five. As we know, the four Gospels are the version of the same event, but written by four different people or more at different times in history. For example, Luke was not even there when these things happened. He was learning it from people who have been there or who have heard about it. And that's why, of course, the rendering of the story differs. I'll not insist much, I'll just remind to you that Jesus is putting things upside down. He's saying, blessed when you are poor or poor in spirit, blessed are you when you are hungry, blessed are you when you weep, blessed are you when men hate you and they talk bad about you. All the bad things which people are running from, Jesus says, that's great when it's happening to you. It's a good sign you are going in a good place, which shows exactly this nature of the spiritual world. I quoted in the last satsang that people went to Athanasius, a great Egyptian Christian ascetic, and they told him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And he simply said, give them my greetings, you know, tell them that I am also against them. Like I think that they live in a sinful, rotten dirty, dark world, and that all of them will go to hell. And therefore, I don't like them, and I don't like their world, and if they don't like me, this doesn't deter me from doing what I'm doing, because I think I'm doing the right thing, and I'm thinking that all of them are just swimming in the wrong direction. <clears throat> so, it's this thing, it's this spirit very strong of Jesus to put the spiritual world 
like swimming against the stream. Everybody is going downhill and the spiritual heroes are swimming uphill where it's arduous and difficult. And he ended with the last one, which is so appropriate to what many people experience today in Agama, when he says, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. In general, because of spirituality, of course, he is equivalent with the light. He says, I am the truth, the way, and the past, I am the I am the spiritual the spirituality, and therefore when he says that they people revile you for the Son of Man, which is himself, it means for the spiritual path. And he concludes by saying, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophet. He treats the world by saying their fathers. So it's like outsiders. He treats the outside world with almost a certain contempt. Of course, he loves the world because he crucified himself for the world. But at the same time, he speaks like he definitely doesn't say they are in my team. It's us and them very clearly for Jesus. And he says, for that is how their father, fathers treated the prophets. He said, it's not the first time. With me, with Jesus, is an extreme case which will make noise in the whole history for thousands of years after I'll pass on this planet. Like this is an extreme case, but it's not the first case by far. I don't know enough religious Jewish history, but we know from the sayings of Jesus and from different other opinions, we know that it was not the first time when the Jews found their own prophets incomfortable people, and they did nasty things to them, including kill them. The one which happened just one year before or two years before these words are said, maybe it didn't even happen, I don't know, I can't remember right now the chronology, but it's a matter of plus minus one year. The one which is obvious is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was talking against everything and telling to people, repent, make your, your way back to God, baptizing people and all that. And eventually, one of the local kings, Herod, just beheaded him. No, So you would say, but weren't these people afraid to touch the prophets or, of God? When the ego is big, people are suddenly not afraid anymore, and they do all the horrible things. No, In the Tibetan tradition... There are ten heinous crimes such as making two spiritual schools fight against each other or shedding the blood of a Buddha. No, For most people it didn't matter. There are many, many people who did these things and any other of the eight major crimes mentioned by the Tibetan morality. No, because people lose it. They would say, ah, that guy is not a Buddha and therefore I can hurt him. It's a very good excuse and then you say, well, I didn't know. How should I have known? No, So it's the same in the case of Jesus. Jesus says there have been prophets. Then people conveniently said, he's not a real prophet. He is a false prophet. And then they killed them. They chased them. They persecuted them. They did all sorts of ugly things to them. So this is a trend which happens in Kali Yuga extremely often. It's only that Jesus is like, 
is completely uncompromising. Try to think about some of the things which are happening nowadays in this world and which are accepted in some ways and try to think a man like Jesus what would say about them. You know, like, okay, in my country people have legalized drugs. What would be the attitude of Jesus about drugs? Would he say, oh, you know, sometimes... Uh, he would go straight, even in the 16th century when tobacco was brought from South America, it was called the devil's grass. Because tobacco contains nicotine, and nicotine in big doses make people have reactions like if they are demonized and they need exorcism. So everybody who smoked 40 cigarettes in a row unprepared had reactions like they went to hell. And therefore, the, everybody said, this is the devil's grass. It sends you directly to the devil. Today everybody is smoking. No? Jesus, what, on which side would he be? He would say, oh yeah, well, if you're smoking, it doesn't make you a bad person. And Jesus would say, you are partaking in the devil's grass. You know, he would be having a big mouth and very vocal to it. I don't mention a million other things where Jesus would object. No, every bank is charging you interest on the loan. If you loan 10,000 from a bank, you have to give back 15,000 to the bank. But that was forbidden according to Jewish law, Christian law, later Muslim law. It's being practiced shamelessly all the time in all the Western countries like it's normal business practice. Jesus would take the stick and just ruin the banks, you know, like he did in the temple with the ones who were selling pigeons and lambs and all that. So that's why I say uh, Jesus is the ultimate exponent because he is going full Monty. And he simply does not agree with any compromise. He doesn't make compromises. And that's why, of course, that they killed John the Baptist after John the Baptist preached for 10 years. Well, with Jesus, it didn't take 10 years. It took three and they killed him badly really badly. So, of course, you're going to say, well, but still, beheading is another way of dying than dying agonizingly on a cross. So, I'm just telling you all this to understand that Jesus is a sort of, uh, you know, he says, if people are against you, rejoice, leap for joy, because you, God, will reward you in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Jesus is like very provocative, exactly as Muhammad, the prophet of God, he was provocative and he said, it doesn't matter if people like you, it doesn't matter if the laws of people fit with the Quran, which I gave to you, the laws of God take prevalence and that's the end of it. And then Jesus turns it around, which uh, from a logical standpoint is a big thing because in mathematics, if you say a truth, you say, this is true. And then people would say, I don't know if you have any concept of mathematics, there is a concept which says the reciprocal, the reciprocal, which means the opposite, put it the reciprocal way, logically, is also valid. It's not always valid. I mean, not all the mathematical theorems, the reciprocal is also true. And therefore here, Jesus says, and the opposite is also true. <coughs> Which means, 
He said, blessed are you who are poor or poor in spirit or whatever. I explained in the previous satsangs how many meanings it has to be poor or to be hungry or to shed tears when you weep. No, because it can mean spiritual practice and it can mean fasting. And it can also mean social circumstances where you are in the wrong or in the bad place, in the unpleasant place. But also, now after he said, blessed are you when this is happening, and he mentioned all the things which apparently are negative, now he turns it around. This, this turning around is very important because when something, when the negative has not been said, you can say, and also when it's negative, it's not a big problem, you know, because it can also work in the negative way as well. And just Jesus didn't tell the whole truth. But Jesus is like in another statement of him, who says, he who is not with me is against me. Like Jesus says, don't lie to yourselves forever that there is a sort of neutrality. That's just a lie which the devil has put in your head to believe, to say, well, I'm not with Jesus, but you know, I'm not against him. Jesus says, if you are not with me, you are against me. There is no neutrality, because in this universe there is no repose. The only repose is the absolute consciousness of God, and we are all in a perpetual motion, like that Greek philosopher which said, Pantare, everything flows, everything moves. Or the one who said, this is a world of change, change, change. Everything changes all the time. The electrons cannot stop spinning around the protons, around the nucleus of the atoms. They always move. We are doomed to eternal movement. So if you don't move up, you move down. It's as simple as that. It's just an illusion that you are not. For example, the famous trick, which was used by 19th, 20th century French philosophers, who are trying to create a pseudo form of atheism. And they simply, like even existentialists like Jean-Paul Sartre and others, they reached to this thing. They said, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the devil. I am not with God and I am not with the devil. But with what are you? Uh, with man. This is called humanism. Humanism is Satanism. Because if you are not with God, you are against God. This is a fake position created by the demonic forces to tell you, uh, no, you know, you know, in this life I don't pay attention to this thing with God. I'm uh, taking a break from evolution and I'm not with God, I'm not climbing the mountain, but I'm not going to hell as well. That's what you believe. Good luck. In a hundred years, tell me the results of your stupidity, if you are still around, to be able to communicate the results of that stupidity. Because Jesus says you are moving all the time. And if you are done moving up, you are moving down. It's as simple as that. So if you are not with me, you are against me. So he says if you are not blessed with those, then you are screwed. And he calls it in the language of this edition of the Bible... It is said, woe, here the famous Bi Bible formula, woe to you, which means shame to you, blame on you, shit on you, because you are going to really taste something bitter. 
So he turns the blessings and he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Here, it's a thing like this. People, first of all, you know, there are some conscientious people. Maybe your parents were the nagging type who did that. People who are more stoic, more Spartan, more hardworking. And they said, first work, then play. <laughs> people have to first work and then they can have fun. You don't start with the fun. You start with the work because the work must be done. And then if you start with the fun, there's just a way of cheating and then the work will not get done. And therefore, don't be a lazy dog. You always start with the work. In the same way, the understanding of what Jesus says here from a yogic standpoint is this. There is no human being who didn't have a thousand, two thousand lifetimes before of them on this earth or on other planets. Is it possible that in a thousand or two thousand lifetimes, if you take two thousand people, is it possible that out of two thousand people, just take the same people at the same time, but now we are talking about two thousand people in a line, in a timeline. Is it possible that one of them committed murder? Is it possible that one of them was a soldier in the military and as a soldier in the military killed multiple people, tens of people, hundreds of people? So is it possible that every person in this room has committed multiple murders in previous lives? Therefore, is it possible that in your backpack you have good karma and bad karma? So then Jesus says, why do you start with a good one? You are just now taking your good reward and when you finish it, now he says you are rich. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. You are consuming your plus account in the bank and you are running like from hell from the minus account in your bank, which doesn't disappear just because now you are, now you are having a cozy time. If now you are having a cozy time, you are just postponing the manifestation of the negative time. It's like the person who postpones work having only fun, fun, fun. And then at some point the work hits you and it's hard. So Jesus says, woe to you because you've jumped to take the sweet part first and you forgot about the bitter part which is still in your backpack. You are not dealing with it. You are not looking into it and saying, I regret, I repent, I have also done wrong things. I remember one of my friends when she went into the teachings of Jesus, the thing which she felt most of the time was that she had wasted 40 years of her life before finding Jesus. That she felt she wanted to cry every day for it. So she was starting with the bitter part. She was seeing the empty side of the glass. Again, I as being manifesting here in Agama, as being a Tantric teacher, of course I cannot say that richness is wrong per se. Even Jesus was treated sometimes in the upper range of it. Mary Magdalene came and washed his feet with myrrh, oil, or nard, or something like this. And Judas hypocritely objected, and he said, we should have sold it and give the money to the poor. And Jesus have said, no, she was right, 
because I am special and then my death will come soon and that is symbolic in a very special way. So Jesus did not deny that he himself sometimes was treated. He entered in Jerusalem riding a mule and people were putting their mantles and they had leaves of the one of the trees, the, the fig tree or something, you know, or the date palm or some palm, palm leaves and they were greeting him like a king. And Jesus said, no, no, let me just enter in Jerusalem like a humble beggar. Please nobody pay attention to me. It's not that Jesus didn't understand that sometimes the human being is going in the fast lane. But he said, I know what I'm doing. In the Gospel of Thomas, he sees people doing shit, irreligious Jewish things, breaking the religious law of the Jews, which he was breaking every day, more or less. And he tells to that man, if you know what you are doing, you are blessed, because you are like me. Because you, bless, you break the law consciously, knowing that you break the law, and you, have, you are covered. But he said, if you don't know what you are doing, like if you just break the law, then you are in shit, because you will pay deep for it. Then you are a criminal and break the spiritual law of God. No? So Jesus doesn't say that it's not possible sometimes to do it. I, as a tantric teacher, I cannot condemn Abhinava Gupta, who in the 10th century when he is described, he is described not as filthy rich, there is the expression filthy rich, or obscenely rich. Not that way. But he is, this, he is described as comfortable financially. Like definitely above average. He is not described even as a middle class person. He is described like a little bit of an upper middle class person. Like he lives in plenty. And I cannot say that according to Jesus, but woe to you Abhinavagupta who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Because Abhinavagupta has first worked and reached his state of Samadhi. He was an avatar of Shiva. He was one of the greatest masters that he Indian history has known. And if he was treated honorably by the local king, and Abhinavagupta had terminated his karma, then it was okay for Abhinavagupta. So Jesus does not mention special cases. He mentions the average person for whom the karma is mixed. The person who is on the path. And he says, if you jump directly and pick up all the... It's like you get a casserole full of strawberries. And you choose the red, the most red, dark red ones, which are sweet and ripe. And then in the casserole, there are left some green strawberries, which are sour and not ripe at all. No? That's what Jesus is talking about. A real stoic, logical person will take the bitter and the sweet of life, trying not to just evade. You just say, oh, I'm just eating the sweet strawberries, and then I take a gun and put a bullet through my head, and I don't need to eat the sour strawberries anymore. That's not the way life is, and that's why, good, uh, I'm sorry, here Jesus says, uh, it's a very defective way. He says, woe to you, because you are like a greedy dog, and you go and eat the good stuff, and then you will have only the bad stuff. Life, when it has some good stuff and some bad stuff, it is tolerable, at least. 
But if you are sucking all the good stuff quickly, quickly, then the bitter stuff will be left in the end. And then you are going to ask me, why, why is my life so bitter? Because you selected at the right time the wrong thing. And that's why it's not Jesus speaks a couple of times against richness, and so does Ramakrishna, because they consider that normal people cannot deal with it, and they are going to lose their compass and take very wrong decisions. But it was not like this in the case of Abhinava Gupta. Even Swami Shivananda in the 20th century, and even Padre Pio and others, they were part of Karma Yogic project, they were part of projects where a lot of money were flowing through it. None of them, neither Abhinava Gupta, nor Shivananda, nor Padre Pio, none of them became spoiled, and you cannot say, Woe to you, Shivananda, that you spent time building a university of yoga and a printing press of yoga. Yeah, he had resources, people trusted him, they gave him the money, he did the thing, and this was okay spiritually. So, here, Jesus speaks again to the understanding of the average person who is just animalistically and blindly trying to avoid whatever displeasure life can bring to them. He says, that's not the way. You know, sometimes he says, blessed are you who are poor, for you know, then your life is more simple, you can focus on certain things. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. A lot of things are there, you know, it's like again, Jesus says many things at the same time because woe to you who are rich it means how did you make your first million no in the business world and especially in the upcoming in the upstart countries people are always asking this but it's even in England and America you know when people become rich if somebody becomes rich people usually a journalist will be naughty enough to say how did you make your first million because the first million, at least the value of the dollar 30 years ago and more, first million was more difficult to make. Because after you have a million, then you can invest and make another million and another million. Once you have money, money attracts money and you can make more money with money. But the first million when you didn't have the money, that was difficult. And history shows very simple thing, that sometimes to make the first million, people lie cheated, broke the law, did serious crimes and other things, you know, until they got the first million. Exactly like uh, Godfather, the Godfather, Don Corleone. First he was a mafioso for 20 years, then he became a respectable billionaire or multi-multi-millionaire because now he had lawyers and investors who were investing his money in charities, schools, this, that, and he was appearing clean. But he was basically a murderer in the beginning. And all the money which started that thing was blood money. No? So Jesus, when he says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. It's also containing the question, how did you make your first million? Like you are rich, but how did you? On how many dead bodies did you have to step to get there? No? Because for everybody who gets rich, there is somebody who gets poor. I don't know if you know this paradigm about money. I think it was uh, 
David Icke was quoting it in one of his books where he showed why this system of interest can never work, why the usury that the banks are practicing is a criminal thing as it was said in all the religions and all the intelligent people have seen it. And he says, in this world where they print money like toilet paper, you don't see it anymore because it's international, exports, imports, investment, this, that, loans, uh, debts, uh, and all sorts of things, and you miss the point. But he said, let's take the example of a small village on an island, you know, like there is a small village on an island, and somebody comes and says, what, you have no money? How primitive you are, I'll teach you money. Money is supposed to be a level of development in the history of a society. Once you have money, the trade and everything moves much faster, and then the society starts moving much faster. So this guy takes a piece of leather, and out of leather he makes coins, 200 coins, 2,000 coins. And then he says, whoever can take 10, 20, 50, whatever you feel, but I also have to live. You guys are in the village, you all have land, property, and so on. I am a visitor. I also have to make a living. I hope it, you know, and I give you this great idea of money, and therefore I deserve something for it. No? So he said, for ten, every 10 coins which I give you, in the end of one year, you'll give me 11 back. I'm loaning them to you with a 10% interest per year. And that interest will be my, my money. It will be my income for it. So they do. People being naive and not understanding anything about this, they take. One takes 10, one takes 20 and so on. So he gives 2,000 coins. And of course he expects... 2,200. You have seen where the catch is immediately. There do not exist 2,200. There are just 2,000 all in all. And that makes that some people who are smart in business, they will multiply the dollar and they will make, they took 100, they will make 200 and then they will be happy to give 110 back to this guy and keep 90 in their pocket. And those are the people who somehow have skills. And then some idiots, some naive idiots in the village borrow the 100 thinking they are going to make 150 and in the end of the day they have only 80 because they are not good at business. They are very lousy at these things. And when the guy comes and says 110 please, then 30, they have to replace it with a cow, with a sheep, with a little piece of land which they will have to give away. And in this way, the banker doesn't do anything, but he continuously sucks things from people because there will always be some who are winners and always be some who are losers. For example, left-wing societies, democracies, which are a bit left, like socialistic type of communities, they take care of the losers. They say there is a Mr. Walter, and Mr. Walter, since he was 16, he was chaotic, he suffered from ADD, he was smoking marijuana all day long, and he became a shithead. And then even when he got married, he couldn't raise a family, his wife dropped him, he tried to practice some business or some job but he didn't even go to work on his land because he was smoking too much marijuana and he became addicted to that dullness produced by marijuana and eventually Mr. Walter is a loser. 
So what does the society do with Mr. Walter? In America or some right, more right-wing type of things, they let him sleep under a bridge. Mr. Walter can sleep in a cardboard box as far as we are concerned because he's a loser and that's what happens to losers. If you live in Sweden, then you will never sleep in a cardboard box because the government will give you social help. Five people will meet, will look at Walter for half an hour and they will say this guy is irrecuperable. We can try to send him to some courses, maybe we can get him out of it, but we already have little hope for Walter. We think that Walter is one of the losers. So if Walter is a loser, he is not allowed to take loans and everything, and the society gives him some social help. So that's exactly, Jesus simply realizes here that the society is split. So woe to you who are rich, because somehow you have taken from the poor. In the beginning, everybody had a hundred coins, a hundred coins, a hundred coins. Now some people have two hundred coins and some people sleep under a bridge. The people that have two hundred coins, they have taken it from the people who sleep under the bridge. Because the people who sleep under the bridge, they have no intelligence, no willpower, no power of concentration, and they are losers. They are weak human beings. And then the rich are living on the back of the weak. No? So in the in a that's why I'm saying there are multiple meanings in what Jesus said. He can speak about the karma, but he can speak about some social issues, but he can speak about other things because then we have seen that and Jesus mentions it that people who are rich are very, very seldom willing to do great spiritual effort, great efforts of any kind. Anybody who likes soccer, European football knows it. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when you have a football player like Pelé, maybe Pelé was having like $50,000, which was considered like, wow, Pelé, the greatest football player in the world. Today, if you are like Ronaldo or Beckham or something, you have tens of millions of dollars, at least, if not hundreds. Then when you go on the ground, would you risk that somebody comes like this and breaks your knees in the middle of a football match? No. So it's a known thing. Modern football has become a lot of a caricature because modern football players are all of them super rich and they don't want to risk their ass. And all the time if somebody pushes them with a finger, they roll on the floor and they accuse they have been... It's a nightmare. All the... All the these people who are arbitrating matches, all the judges, they know that because all these people, Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and Messi and all, they are all prima donnas. Pele was playing honest football 50 years ago because he was not too rich. He was a little bit, a bit okay financially, and then he played football with his heart for the football. But these people who do it now, they get into big money immediately and then they don't care about the football anymore. And they are ready to make a lot of things. No, there are lots of cases with some of them who cheated on their taxes and did all sorts of other things simply because they become spoiled. So in a certain way, Jesus is also saying, woe to you who are rich because you become spoiled. And then if you have to stay the whole night and meditate, a poor person, a beggar on the street, will stay the whole night and meditate. A rich person will say, no, uh, I cannot. 
My her my back is hurting too much. Hey, fuck your back. Sit up and meditate the whole night, you know? There is no more Spartan spirit in the people. So there are several meanings. Again, Jesus cannot have something against richness in itself. In the Hindu tradition, the four pillars of happiness, one of them is Artha, which means prosperity. So the Hindu tradition, which generated so many mystics, so much detachment, so much asceticism, so much ascetic thing, the Hindu culture says, well, there is no problem with Artha. Everybody to be happy in life can have prosperity. Prosperity is not the problem. The problem is, is that you get modified in your brain by prosperity and then suddenly you're not mucking in. And thus, I can tell you a lot of it, but it's obvious. So Jesus doesn't say, blessed you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And says, but also, woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. In other places, Jesus practices the, hey, the same thing. He said, if you want to be paid cheap, immediately, you are making the wrong choice. He says, you are fasting somewhere. I don't know if in the Gospel of Luke, but in other Gospels for sure. And he says, you are fasting. And then you go on the street and you look like a ghost. And people ask you, Walter, what's the matter? And then you go like, I'm fasting today. People say, are you fasting the whole day? You say, yes. People say, man, you are so spiritual. I, I don't know if I can fast. I don't know if I can give so much to God. It's really a lot, you know. You are really something. Jesus says, that's all you will get from that fasting. Because you get praise from people. And praise from people is the payment for your fasting. If you didn't take praise from people, then God will give you His praise. And that's so much better than praise for people. But your ego is not going for praise from people. Your ego is going for being praised immediately, visibly. So you are greedy to get your payment immediately. And Jesus says, so be it. Then that's your payment. Because the other one who is patient, he says, I didn't get anything. Actually, Jesus says something very big there. He says, you should cheat, clean yourself, oil your hair, look really cool and slick, and don't let anybody know that you are fasting. Like Jesus advises you to lie to the world so that the world doesn't even know that you are doing spiritual effort. And then God will, in the night, God will come and give you something much better than what human beings would have. But that's the marshmallow test, as we call it. Are you going to eat one marshmallow now? Or are you going to wait 15 minutes? And are you going to get two? No? So Jesus says, woe to you because you've already received. You, you greedily said now, now, because you never know. But you never know is a sign of your doubt is the sign of your fear, is the sign of your lack of faith. Because you said, a bird in my hand is worth two birds on the fence. And Jesus says, ah, 
if you just have been wise enough to wait for the two birds on the fence because there are two birds on the fence but you have to trust in it and you want quick 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 reward you're not getting it you're getting it but that's all you are getting it and then your effort was good for nothing woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry of course literally if you eat now and you are just no no me me let me eat no no i have to eat i eat okay and so what 12 hours from now i'll be dead hungry it's a never-ending story the problem is not solved by this that i solve things quickly and i'm always pushing myself first 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 but there are so many undertones to it no like jesus always means a lot of things woe to you who are well fed now he means the priests are well fed with theology and they think they are knowing god and you will go hungry because you will not reach to god and then maybe you'll search for 50 lifetimes for a guru or for a teaching which will bring you back to God. Take it metaphorically in an eye, like in an indirect way. Woe to you who are well fed now. I myself have experienced the human experience of being thin and slender in Hatha Yoga or putting on extra weight. And I can witness to you as somebody who has done yoga to all sorts of levels and so on. When I had extra kilos, the work with energy became more difficult. It's like exactly like somebody who tries to climb a mountain and you put a 20 kilo backpack on their back. It's not as easy. Even the rising of Kundalini and the projection of prana becomes more difficult when your body is burdened with too much flesh. A lot of flesh produces an attraction to materiality. It fixes you in the, in the physical body and it makes more difficult to give up your physical body and to separate from your physical body and to move the energy and to circulate it. There are more impurities. There is more of what the Ayurvedic medicine calls ama, residues in your body. And the list could continue a lot. So, even like this, Jesus says, Woe to you who are well fed now, because obviously you are not working very much with your energies and with your kundalini and things. Okay, he didn't mean it literally, because in those days people were not speaking about kundalini, but he was speaking definitely about a certain lightness of being. That is this. Check. Czech Republic writer, I think Milos Kundera, who wrote that famous book, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, you know, lightness of being, that the being has to be light, you know, and then you can give up, you can renounce, you can consecrate, you can detach, you can be light. You know? And for most people, when you are well fed, you become engrossed in the body. You know? So that's why the sayings of Jesus have always two, three, four different meanings in parallel. He says, woe to you who are well fed now. Every time when I fasted 24 hours, I could feel the energies better in the afternoon and in the evening. The inner fire was getting bigger. The aspiration and the power of meditation and spiritual practice was bigger. And I remember 
I was studying chiropractic with my teacher in chiropractic who was a monk and it was a day where I chose to do some fasting like I don't know Friday or something like this and I was fasting on Friday and I did chiropractic all day long like I did 20, 30, 40, 50 people chiropractic in that day and this old man he said, I don't know how you get so much energy to do Cairo, like even I would get tired. And then he brightened up and he said, ah, I just realized it's the fasting. He said, because of the fasting, God is with you and you can do so much effort, you don't even feel it. If I would be well fed, I would say, I need to take a break. I feel tired. I need to take a nap. No, but if I'm lean, then I can be light and all that. So, so many meanings to what Jesus says. He, oppo, he gives the opposite. It was blessed you who are poor and woe to you who are rich. Blessed when those who hunger, but hunger means a lot of things I explained to you then. And woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Which is very threatening. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. That's very threatening. No, it says don't choose a life only of laughter because laughter is not, it's very superficial. There is levity to it. I told you already when I commented the negative part that that's what Kahlil Gibran writes in his famous poem about love. He says love is with laughter and love is with tears. And if you take only the laughter part of love, then you are going to know only 50% of love and you will never know the 100% dimension of love. Because if you... And he says, then you will laugh but not your laughter and you will live but superficially and you will not go full on into the fire of God. And thus, here same Jesus is expressing this fire of existence this fire of the divine consciousness that this world is made of hills and valleys. You cannot avoid the valleys. You cannot be only on hills. Even when you want to move to one hill to another hill, in between them there is a valley. Valleys are inevitable part of the human life. And that's why he says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Sounds like he's a very cruel prophet. And again, Jesus was also having a very formidable existence. There is a description of Jesus made by a name which I forgot, one, one of the three descriptions which exist in history of Jesus, and this one is controversial. Like some skeptical people say that it could have been created by the Christian church as a sort of an artifact, as a sort of a fake, it's not really 100% demonstrable that that guy wrote it exactly in this way and so on. Others, there are a couple of others which are written by Roman historians who say we have trouble with a new sect here in Rome because apparently there was this Jewish guy in Palestine and he did this and he was that. So indirectly they write about him. But otherwise there is one which describes him and describes that he had chestnut hair and blue eyes and all those things. And one of the things which are said about him impressed me a lot when I was young. 
impressed me a lot because I was on a tantric path and I was living my life in another way. And it made me a lot of good to be aware that there are other people on the face of the earth who may think in a different way and for whom the values are different. When describing Jesus Christ, this historian, Palestinian historian or something, he says, this man has been seen at times to weep tears of compassion, of love, but he has not been seen to love. Well, given the fact that Jesus went on a cross in three years, quite obvious why he was not in the mood to laugh. You wouldn't be in the mood to laugh if you'd prepare for a crucifixion. So some people say, but that doesn't make Jesus a very sad prophet, a prophet of doom and so on. Not really. I don't see him like this. I think I've had experiences of feeling the love of Jesus and I think it's overwhelming and blissful, so it's not like Jesus is alien or against happiness, but he's considering often that people are stopping in very superficial satisfactions, and they are not going, because he says, you already received your comfort, if you are well fed, you will go hungry, and those of you who laugh now, you will mourn and weep. Buddha was laughing in his castle, and then he saw a sick man, an old man, a dead man. And that ruined his day forever. Because he said, now I'm a prince. I have been for 30 years happy and I can't care about anything. But one day I will be sick. One day I will be old. One day, one day I will die. And then I'm not going to laugh. It's even if you laugh now, when you are going to be very sick, you will not laugh. When you are going to be old and dying, probably you won't laugh, most probably you won't, and people around you will not. And thus, Jesus is right, human existence does contain suffering. Maybe Buddha expressed it in a very pessimistic way, like looking at the empty side of the glass and saying there is suffering, there is pain, life is made of pain, and so on. And even if you think, yeah, but there is some joy, yeah, there is some joy, but then it will pass. It will pass, and good old pain is coming back. And thus, Jesus here shows whatever you are relying on, that you are wealthy, it will go away. That you are fed, it will go away. That you are laughing now, one day you will mourn and weep. And then he says, the opposite of the last one, of the fourth one, Woe to you when well men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophet. As always, this tradition of the false prophets, which are exactly the people that tell you what you want to hear. Oh, is there a tantra for I don't know what, transsexuals and uh, something? No, there isn't. Well, out there, there are many people who teach it, because they are false prophets. They teach what people want to hear. <coughs> and when I am saying there is not much Tantra for homosexuals, for example, not because I hate them or somebody hates them, there does not exist a tradition. Abhinava Gupta did not write how to do Tantra if you are homosexual. He didn't, simply. Nobody did. I cannot go and punish them and pull their ear and say, naughty boys, why didn't you write about this? 
they didn't write. You know, and if I'm saying that, people say, in Agama, I think Swami is homophobic, he's a homophobic racist or something like this. That's what I'm talking about, you know, that people want to be spoken well. And because they want to be spoken well, <coughs> they always soothsay. They say what people want to hear. And Jesus is exactly like a thorn in your rib. He always tells you uncomfortable things and he tells you you are not good enough and he tells you you have to do more and you know and people go crazy and they say this guy can't we hear something nice can't you please tell me something nice no because something nice is just pampering your ego and my function is not to develop your ego and to make you feel good my function is to give you a cold shower and to show you where your shortcomings are that's why here he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophet. No? Like, there have been, let's say, American presidents like Bill Clinton or especially Barack Obama and so on, people speak well about them. And Jesus says, Woe when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophet. Like, you are a bit of a false prophet in one way or another. If you would tell to people the truth, they wouldn't so much like you. Socrates told the truth to the Athenians and they condemned him to drink poison. Athens preferred to execute Socrates than to keep on hearing the painful thing. Socrates was no bullshit, no hypocrisy. Just tell to people, show to people their true faith. They hated it. People got so mad, they publicly asked for Socrates to be executed. And he got executed and died. That's what we're talking about. So, therefore, Jesus has expressed four blessings and their opposites to leave no doubt. Like there is no neutrality. Either you are like this, or you are like that. So, choose. He doesn't allow any ambiguity. Like you say, you know, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean that it's bad if you are rich. Well, he says, woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Like, you know, he turns it, he doesn't, he continues. That's why, that's what makes Jesus uncompromising. He just splashes it as hard as it takes. And then he continues. It's the same sermon, but it goes not in the blessings or woes, the opposite. He goes with other points that he wishes to express. He says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is the most difficult part of Christianity. To develop your Anahata Chakra to the level where you can do this is almost impossible for the common mortal. There is no society today which has accepted that. Even if Mahatma Gandhi said, 
if you strike me, I will turn the other cheek. The Indian government did not follow that injunction and does not follow it. If a Pakistani shoots a bullet to India, India shoots 10 bullets to Pakistan. It's an eye for an eye and sometimes it's 10 eyes for one eye, if possible. It's Manipura, 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 Manipura. Sometimes people who are total weaklings, they don't exact revenge, but it's not because they are virtuous, it's because they are total impotent, total incapable. But those who are capable, they always go a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye or more. They say, if you kill one of our people, then we are going to kill a hundred of your people. No, like with interest, with major interest. This expression, what Jesus says here and in the next lines, is expressing the full psychology of Anahata Chakra. If somebody has a big, overwhelmingly big Anahata Chakra, they will generally go in this direction. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Again, not all the spiritual people are into this. For example, in martial arts in Japan, there is the story, a classical Zen story, where they studied martial arts, and he asked the teacher, if we are Buddhist monks and we cultivate compassion, we're never going to kill anybody, are we? And it's like, then why do we learn self-defense? Why do we practice martial art all day long? No? And uh, the teacher said, you don't understand yet. Keep practicing and so on. And one day, the story is a bit longer, I'll make it short. One day, the teacher leaves him chopping wood. And he says, stay here and chop all this pile of wood, like eight hours of chopping wood. And so now I'll be back. And apparently the teacher knew that there was a gang of thieves, a gang of robbers who were attacking villages and killing people and so on. And those robbers see one young man chopping wood and they jump to rob him. And this guy was very well trained, but also in a very good state of spirit. And he had an axe in his hand. So when the teacher comes, there are about 20 people dead around and the pupil is still quietly chopping wood. And he's asking him, what happened? And he said, I don't know, one moment I was chopping wood, then there was this turmoil, and then I continued chopping the wood. Like he didn't even react to the fact that he killed 20 people. He just did it like the arm of God, like cleaning the society. And then he continued chopping wood. Like he was not proud, he didn't say, see what I did, these bad people attacked. He was like completely karma yoga, like Arjuna, like detached and with consecration. So in Japan, they don't do this. It's not Jesus. It's Zen Buddhist. It's Dogen. It's whatever, Bodhidharma and others. No? But in Christianity, Jesus wanted this. Did he achieve it? Very, very very seldom did I encounter Christian mystics and other mystics, Sufi or others, 
who had gone in Anahata Chakra that much. We are all struggling to live at that level. Sometimes we react on other chakras. I'm not saying that reacting on Manipura or reacting is forbidden. But Jesus would like to implement this. He sets the bar very high. And I'm telling you, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the others, they did not manage to follow it. The Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church separated from each other in the year 1060. They declared each other heretic. And then in the year 1200, the Pope organized a huge crusade, which passed through Constantinopolis, today Istanbul. In those days, it was still a Christian city called Constantinopolis. And what did the crusaders, 100,000 crusaders, do when they got to Constantinopolis? They sacked the city. They stole the gold. They raped the women. They did all the shit. Constantinopolis was sacked in the year 1200 and something by the Western Christians. Until today, the Orthodox Christians of Greece and others, they cannot forgive and they cannot forget. They say uh, the Catholics are our brothers, but in the 12th century they came and sacked Constantinopolis, you know. And it's kind of, it's very difficult to forget that. It's very difficult, you know. So that's why I say, if they cannot do it at the level of the church institution, it's very difficult to see where did the message of Jesus go. The message of Jesus rather went to Rumi, who was a Muslim. It rather went to Kaklil Gibran, who was a Muslim. And of course, there were Christian mystics who live according to this. What you hear here in the next paragraph is amazing. It's wonderful. And you should read it in the morning like appetizer because it describes the consciousness of Anahata Chakra. If you work on Anahata Chakra, take this and write it big on a paper in front of you and read it often. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic, your vest as well. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This last sentence is a bit sweeter because I do to others as I would have them to do to you. Like I don't want to take anybody's tunic or cloak. So then nobody should take mine. But what if they do? Because sometimes people are with the dark forces. And how would you react to it? And that's why it is very, very difficult. The last sentence brings it a little bit down to Manipura. Do to others as you would have them to do to you. That's a sort of a social justice. The way you treat me, the same way I will treat you. I will treat the world the way I wish to treat me. Sometimes they make conferences on religions. Common, you know, religion joining. 
And the, I remember there was in Penang many years ago, there was a conference on ethics, religious ethics, Buddhist ethics, Jewish ethics, Christian ethics, all of them, all the experts to come and make a round table on it. And it was very clearly that there is only one principle which is common to all the major and minor religions on this planet. Like we say, what is moral? To have sex or not to have sex? To drink wine or not to drink wine? To deal with money or not? You cannot decide. All these are collateral. The only thing which is common to all the religions is this do unto others as you would have them do to you. Like, if you want nagging, then nag other people. If you are a nagging person, you should expect nagging. If you are perfectionistic to other people, you should expect them to be perfectionistic with you. If you have high demands, you should expect the world to have high demands to you. Do unto others what you want them to do to you. You say, I wish people were more friendly to me. Yeah? Because first of all, you forgot that you have to be friendly to them. Do unto others what you want them to do to you. This is the root of all ethics. If you want to say, I don't know what religion I belong to, I'm generally spiritual, I don't care, then I just want to have the root of ethics. The root of ethics is this, illustrated by Jesus here. Do to others as you would have them do to you, in all respect. In all respect. Like you want people to push you, then you push them. Be pushy. If you are a pushy character, people will push you. So, sometimes you say, but if you are a kind person, won't people sometimes be nasty to you? There can be spiritual tests. There can be. Yeah? But, nevertheless, and then he makes more demonstrations on the same theme, but it is Anahata. This is the difference between Anahata and Svadhisthana. This is between Anahata and emotionalism. Not love like a Svadhisthana chakra emotion from Hollywood, but love, love, like the love of God, like unconditional love, like the pure love. This is the love about which Jesus speaks, Rumi speaks, Ramakrishna speaks. This is the real love. And he illustrates it. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Like, remember, Hitler had a lover, and they loved each other till the end of the life, and they died together in assisted suicide. They assisted each other in their suicide. Joseph Stalin worshipped his granddaughter and others. He was a loving grandfather, and his grandkids wrote loving things about him, that Stalin is the best grandpa, and he was a fucking murderer. Uh, Mao Zedong, to keep himself young, he was having, even when he was 70 years old, he was having sex with two young girls every day. When you have sex in this way, I presume he was not a monstrous torsionist who was treating them like shit, but he was tender as a lover because he wanted to express pleasure and to give pleasure and all the typically masculine things for a harmonious male. So Mao Zedong, Stalin, Hitler and others like them, they were capable of loving. 
but they loved people who gave them pleasure and fun. And Jesus is logical. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? And he says, even the sinners love those who love them. It's very easy to love those who love you when they behave nice to you. Ah, that some people who are psychologically tormented and they are traumatized and they are very neurotic and they cannot love even people who openly love them. That's a problem, especially of the modern world. I guess 2000 years ago, people were a bit more healthy psychologically and not so many people were twisted and neurotic. Maybe even in that time, there had been children who were sexually abused or who went through very, very traumatic events and they found themselves mature and incapable of love even in normal conditions, like sharing love when somebody else is loving you. It's possible. Jesus does not go into that detail, doesn't split the hair to that detail. But he says even sinners, and it is in here, in one of the translations of the Bible, he says tax collectors. The tax collectors were some very, very hated people in the Jewish community because they were separating the Jewish people from their dear money. And thus, people hated the tax collectors, especially because the money was going to the Roman Empire. And he said even tax collectors love those who love them. So it's like you are not better than any person in this world, including people who can be very shitty. If you step on their toes, they can be very shitty. And when you treat them lovingly, they treat you back lovingly. What's the big value in that? He said, this is nothing. It's just normal. Like a dog, if you play with it, it wags its tail and it's happy. No, but what if it attacks you or if you attack it? So he says, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Funny. I mean, in my life I met many people who thought that because they did good to somebody who was in family with them and friends and so on, they were great people and they were very good. Jesus says this is a rock bottom. Don't flatter yourself that you are doing anything specially good. You are like a friendly dog that has received a biscuit, you know. There is no wonder the dog is friendly if you gave it a biscuit. That doesn't prove anything. And thus, he says, even sinners, here in this Bible edition, sinners is put in comas, sinners like tax collectors or something, do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? I'm giving you a thousand baht, you'll give it back to me. We're not even talking about usury. Usury is a monstrosity. But like this, then what's the big deal that I gave you a thousand if I happen to have it and you ask for it and I gave it to you and then you gave it back to me? What's the big deal? Am I such a kind person? In the modern world, yes. Yes, because you could have not loaned the money to that person. No? But Jesus says you are vaunting yourself for childish things. These things are nothing, are normal kindliness at the level of a polite and civilized world. He says what I'm talking about, about is love your enemies. Bless those who hate you. 
that's where the things start becoming really peculiar, really special. Until this, it's normal kindliness. You repay a kindliness with a kindliness. This is more on Manipura, Svadhisthana. No, that's why people cannot make very easily the difference. But Anahata is selflessness, is more than just being kind. Manipura is kind. I have a clean Manipura, you give me a thousand, I give you back your thousand. I am so kind and balanced and everything. So, Jesus is very clear about this psychology. Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, he says it again. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. If a bank would do that, a bank would go bankrupt. So banks cannot be on Anahata ever. Even Islamic banks, which are not charging interest on the loan and don't practice usury, they are still an institution on Manipura. There is nothing in business which goes in Anahata. Business will go bankrupt if it will go these principles. That's why sometimes it's very difficult to mix the two. I was having a friend in Denmark. He was having a big successful business on the main street. Then he came to my yoga courses. He became very enthusiastic in yoga. He started helping the yogis. Guess what happened? In one year, he had to close the company. He went bankrupt. And before, he was a tough person. No, he was a bit nasty. He could get angry very easily. Then he came to yoga. He tried to be like an angel, like this. He fucked his business. Because it doesn't work well with this. When you look at Jesus, says, you know, it's like lend to them without expect, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. That's the end of business. That's the end of money, which would be nice. Not to try a society without that curse. No? But at this level, Jesus sounds like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like this is pure utopia. Jesus is the hippie of the hippies when he says this, simply because he comes from Anahata. And a society on Anahata does not exist. I have been in some religious Christian communities like Mount Athos and so on. It's very hard to say if I've seen people who would give everything always, all the time, love their enemies and all that thing. I have seen that only in the lives of people who would be considered saints. Like if you say somebody and you say, oh, this old man Walter, he is a saint, then you might expect Walter to be somewhere there about. There have been great yogis in India and others who have been like this. So, then he says, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of God because he is kind, he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful.
like Jesus says, you have to trust, give, let everybody rip you off, and then when there comes the turn of God to move, the move of God is going to be really, really good, really, really great for you. Very few people have the patience and the faith to live like that. There has been this American woman called Peace Pilgrim, see her documentaries, she was a little bit like that, a little bit. You hear her voice and her recordings, she was often on Manipura, like very straight, very straight, but sometimes she was going in Anahata. And there is, again, I have documentaries with this pilgrim, maybe we'll show them in one of our video evenings or something. This woman was amazing. She was like a modern Anahata saint living in the 1950s America or sometime like this. And it was inconceivable that she could do that. So, I would like, rather than going further, to read it once more, because it has been very dense, and I'm advising you to go home and take this part of chapter 6, and really separate it, copy and paste it, and just look at it, and love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I, for example, consider there are a lot of people who mistreat me, that there are a lot of people who hate me and do wrong things to me in the present circumstances. Even I do not manage to apply 100% this paragraph. I'm trying to hold my horses and I'm trying to not do harm and, I'm and everybody around me says, you should do this, you should do that, you should do no. And I'm trying not to. No, and I'm sorely tempted because I have some temperament of my own hidden somewhere inside me. You know? And I'm tempted and I don't manage. I cannot say that yesterday I prayed for those who mistreated me. I did not pray. And if God would crush them tomorrow, I would be a little bit happy. You know, I would be like, yeah, God has done it for me, you know? Like, I'm an animal, still, somewhere. What Jesus is demanding from people with this is almost superhuman. Like, when you turn to this, you become way superhuman. You become, you belong to the class of angels or devas or something. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic also. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, hey, I don't want others to do the same to me. Like, I, I will not go and take things from people and not give them back. So here, this last sentence is a little bit different. It's a bit returning to this manipuristic sense of justice of the Jewish culture. At least do that. Do to others as you would have them do to you. 
But before that, he was a raving lunatic. Like the number of people who can live like that, I've known people who tried hard and succeeded to a large extent. Very seldom. Very seldom. That's why we tell to people, you know, there is almost no Anahata left in the Western world. When I will see a village or a monastery in the Western world where people behave like this, I will start believing that there is some Anahata in the Western world. But if you see Russian movies like Ostrov and Monk Ibez and others like the Monk and the Demon, you will see this behavior in Russian movies. Because in the Orthodox Church of Russia, people try to live out these things. People really try to live out these things. When you go to Martin Luther or some other Zwingli and Calvin, when you go at Christianity processed by German minds or Switzerland minds, you don't find anything like this. Those people may repeat the words of Jesus, but the society and the way in which they live is completely not like this. If the world would be like this, there would be so much forgiveness, so much tolerance. Even if you are the idiot of the idiot, and even if you are neurotic and disturbed and traumatized, and from time to time you step on people's toes, destroy people's objects, lose people's money, do this, do that, and then you would say, oops, I'm sorry, you know, I guess I'm an idiot. No? And people would love you and say, it's nothing, everything is coming from God, we love you, and so What a world this would be, no? I would, you know, I don't know what I would give to find such a community or to be able to create such a community. No? Even in the yoga school, we do not have and we did not have such a community. No? It was enough, one little disturbance, one little thing, everybody went for blood. There is no unconditional love. There is no nothing like this. That's why I'm saying, yeah, do to others as you would have them do to you is the Manipura version of it. But before, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. This is paradise. This is paradise. And I don't know if we are going to see it on the face of this earth in Kali Yuga. In this time of history, I don't know if we'll see it. I personally have not seen, maybe I have seen individuals who would be a little bit like this. Like my teacher who taught me chiropractic, he was a very fiery man, had one of the strongest Manipuras I've seen in my life, and he was trying to be like this. Although he was an astrological fire sign, a Sagittarian, no, and he was going, and still he was trying to go like this, very much. I was impressed. I was like, I've seen individuals here and there who went into this domain, and it was like these were people from fairy tales. These were people like you've never... We presume that people like Ramakrishna, that people like Yogananda and others 
were like this. This is illustrating a perfect activation of Anahata Chakra and a perfect predominance of Anahata Chakra. It's again, today we read it and it's like utopia. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expending to be, expecting to be repaid in full. But, and again he starts with Anahata, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Where? In heaven. Your reward from God. Not direct reward here. So you say, you lose money, you win the love of God for it. Would you do that? Would you trade that? No. So then your reward will be great and you will be sons of God. He is the son of God. yeah, Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is super beautiful. This is the position, the description of the consciousness of Anahata Chakra. In the end, he brings God in, which means there is also some relationship to Sahasrara, because he says God has a reason, a divine reason, not a human reason, to be merciful. He says, you would be like God, because even God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Somebody is a murderer. He lives in prison. He lives in hell. And suddenly in the middle of that hell, he has a joyful day. Like in the Shoshank Redemption, you know, where long-term prisoners, they were happy for a book, they were happy for a flower, they were happy for a picture, they were happy for a joke that they shared together, you know. Like God is merciful. Even to a multiple murderer, it's not crushing, 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 crushing. There is a mercy. When God sees a soul in hell, that soul is still a son of God. That soul is somebody who did great mistakes. That soul is somebody that has accumulated very bad karma and has to pay for that karma. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love that one. And from time to time throws a bone like you've thrown to a dog, you know. Even a dog receives some mercy from time to time, you know. And even the, Jesus says, even the ungrateful and wicked get some mercy. They get some mercy. So he says, be merciful as your father is merciful. People say there is justice. Justice shall be done. But justice is not the only thing that God is. And justice is a value on Manipura. The Jewish culture understood justice very well. But Jesus said, try to rise even above justice. Because above justice, there is mercifulness. The mercifulness of love. And sometimes, it's, you know, it's like you can do it. Hannah was reminding me 
recently of a guy of an episode which of course I remembered I, it was somewhere in my memories and she brought it up with some guy in some Christian Orthodox Church he was not very well received there because he was practicing yoga and Tantra and all sorts of other things considered not very Christian and um, according to that to the most fundamentalistic part of that religion if you are not a practicing Christian uh, you cannot get communion that's a huge difference like in Catholic churches gen most of the time you can go and get communion and they can't even check if you are Orthodox but in an Orthodox church the priest if he doesn't know you and if you haven't done the confession and everything you will never receive communion freely like this communion is conditioned by something so this guy probably never had communion or at least for a long long time I don't know if I ever had communion probably as a child when they baptized me they gave me the communion but for the rest I don't think so so like this guy was cut from the communion and then he did a good gesture and he baptized somebody who was not Christian and so on and then in the end the priest was an old priest a very remarkable priest who was also a Sagittarius and had a big Manipura but also was trying very much to go in his Anahata and he succeeded very often then suddenly he gave the communion to this newly baptized person because they are fresh there's nothing to require from them and then he looked at this guy who was the godfather and suddenly it popped up in his mind you know and then he took a part of the communion and gave it to him even the guy couldn't believe his eyes he said you know what no because you know I'm he wanted to say I'm not playing by your rules I'm not part of the church I'm not you know so you might want to reconsider and just the priest just shoved it in his mouth and he said yeah yeah take it on my responsibility you know like he wanted the, for him this was anahata you know like I will give you the body of Christ even if you are the last sinner in the world because God is sometimes merciful it's not only about the rules and regulations and the, there must be mercy as well this mercifulness is the mark of anahata chakra and meditate deeply on it because Jesus is almost asking for an impossible world and again I have been around in spirituality I have been in Buddhist monasteries I have been in Israeli places of worship I have been with Christians I have been in Sufi Dargas I have been pretty much everywhere in Indian ashrams you name it of course not in every single religion or something but I have been places I have not yet encountered one which was fully like this like to the letter hundred percent this I met now and then individuals who are almost perfectly like this almost and I have met communities which were striving and they may have been a bit closed but not like this not like this I have not seen a single ashram again I want to believe that Ramakrishna Paramahamsa was like this and others but very seldom you'll encounter that because here Jesus places the stakes extremely high he simply says when you die 
this is where you have to reach. If you reach this, then you go directly to God. You have graduated. Your soul is saved. If you said, but it was too difficult for me. I couldn't really. Of course, God will have mercy on your weakness. At least apologize profusely. And at least I hope you have some experience which can say, but look, at least I have tried. I have tried. And I am just a fallible human being, you know. Sometimes I didn't quite succeed. I know I botched it sometimes. But I tried. I tried. And then God will say, okay, you did 80%. 20% is grace, forgiveness, mercy. It worked. But at least there has to be some goodwill, some attempt, some serious movement in that direction. This paragraph is very beautiful because it illustrates exactly its consciousness of Anahata Chakra with a connection to God, with a connection to Sahasrara. And uh, I wish to all of you that you will taste the sweetness of this state. I wish to you that you will strive to reach some of this state. And I wish, may you be blessed to actually reach this state of consciousness and in this way become one with God. Because Jesus says, be merciful because God himself is merciful. But the Jews say, but God is righteous and just. Yes, God on Manipura. And that's a very dangerous and terrible God. But God in Anahata is this unconditional love. Like you are as you are. You ate some shit. They put vaccines and antibiotica in you. You have been traumatized by your parents and school and society. And because of this, you didn't grow up like a vertical tree. You grew up a little bit like this. You are twisted a little bit. And because you are twisted, you are not always a son of God. You are not always a child of God. No? So, of course, God is merciful. Because how can you find perfection in this world? What Jesus describes here is perfection on Anahata Chakra. And even if we cannot reach it, we have to try at least. We have to strive a little bit to move towards it and to tell to God, you know, we t I tried and tried and tried and one day I was too weak and I did something stupid. But then next day I was sorry and I tried some more. And at least, you know, I was aware of what Jesus said. And I was aware of what the great goal was. So, this is how I see it from the standpoint of yoga, as a purified, perfect level of consciousness of Anahata Chakra, connected to Sahasrara, and thus living the world in a wonderful way. In a wonderful way. Remember, in Japan, even in the samurai Japan, where people try to be very correct, very accurate, die, be selfless, but all of it on Manipura. In medieval Japan, there existed just one punishment for all crime. Theft, rape, arson, whatever you did, there was just one punishment, death. 
punishment by death. Like the Japanese were a simple people, you know. You fucked it up, we kill you. It's as simple as that. No? That is Manipura, that's the justice of Manipura, a peculiar form of it. No? But Anahata is a city in Tibet, you know, it's a village in Tibet. Nobody know, like, again, I'm telling you, in Kali Yuga, where my life has happened, I haven't seen it. I have not seen it in any family, I have not seen it in any group, in any ashram, in any spiritual school. We all try to live it out, and we all can be imperfect about it, and that's where the whole thing is going. So, I hope this was a beautiful illustration for you. I'll continue from here next week when we do the next satsang. Thank you all for having had patience and take this beautiful part in your heart and meditate. How much is it possible for you to rise to such levels of existence? With this, we have finished. <laughs>